TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. And welcome back to our number two of Hardline right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Our thanks to uh, Minority Assembly Leader Will Barkley, who joined us in the first hour, along with uh, local historian Eva Doyle. And now it is a pleasure to welcome Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown to the show. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. You and Joe. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I have you now. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Joe and I are happy you could take some time out of your Sunday morning, uh, Mayor Brown. Uh, first question for you, uh, new allegations have surfaced, and now uh, a second former aide to Governor Cuomo is accusing him of sexual harassment. Uh, what are your comments about what's happening with uh, these allegations against the governor? Allegations of sexual harassment always have to be taken seriously. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul has called for an in- independent investigation Governor Cuomo himself has called for an independent investigation. I agree that an independent investigation of these allegations should take place. And, Mayor, uh, we're happy that you're on to talk, too, about your uh, strive for five, if you will, that you're announced uh, that you're going to run for an unprecedented fifth term as Buffalo mayor. Uh, What prompted you to decide to go for yet another term? Well, we've made consistent progress in the city of Buffalo. Now we are facing one of the most challenging times in the history of our city and in the history of our region, the COVID-19 global health pandemic, the economic crisis from the health pandemic, and so many other factors that we are dealing with now, I felt required me to seek another term as mayor to work to help our community get through this very difficult time. During the course of the pandemic, as mayor, I have been able to successfully manage the city without raising taxes, without cutting services, and without laying off a single worker in the city of of Buffalo. It's that kind of management that's going to be needed to not only help our community emerge from the pandemic, but build back stronger than ever. And let me ask you, Mr. Mayor, you know, the last uh, four terms, as you said, we've seen Buffalo go through this uh, revitalization. I mean, downtown Buffalo is absolutely beautiful. Do you see going for this fifth term after the pandemic? Hopefully we're back to normal uh, in the next few months. Do you see this as, uh, as you said, just trying to reinstate what you had already built? And in your case is going to be who better than who started it four terms ago? Yes, Joe. We want to resume the, the progress, the economic development that we were seeing in the city. We want to accelerate it. 
as we come through the pandemic, we want to see more development in every single section of the city of Buffalo, uh, east, west, north, south, downtown, medical campus. I believe that I have a plan to accomplish that. We have continued to assist businesses uh, during the pandemic. Uh, I've been in close contact with businesses of all sizes, small, medium, and large during the pandemic. Businesses are poised to continue to invest in our city. There are projects moving forward right now as, as we speak, and many more projects on the drawing board that will be very exciting for this community. But it's important that we have the leadership, the steadiness, the experience to help those projects move forward quickly so that we can rebuild our city, uh, we can continue the development, and we can put people back to work and put more people to work uh, than were even working prior to the pandemic. And let me ask you, Mr. Mayor, looking at the economic landscape of Buffalo, do you think, again, once we are back to normal or a sense of normal, do you think Buffalo is in a better position uh, when you look at the economic landscape than other cities in the United States? I think Buffalo is in a pretty strong position. During the course of the pandemic, we focused on assisting our residents with their needs, working with small businesses to keep them open in the city of Buffalo. We now are spending $20 million to help renters who haven't been able to pay their rent, homeowners who haven't been able to pay their mortgages, small businesses who have been struggling during the pandemic. So I do feel that we're well positioned. The key will be what communities are best positioned post-pandemic for recovery. Those communities that are well positioned to recover after the pandemic will be the ones that not only see local investment, but will see national investment as well. And I think Buffalo is very well positioned to continue its growth pattern that we were seeing prior to the pandemic to create more jobs for our residents and be a national leader in post-pandemic development. Over the past several shows here on Hardline Mayor, we've had uh, different council members come on to talk about city issues, of course. And one of the things that seems to always pop up is the uh, school zone cameras. Uh, they were meant to uh, make sure that there was safety around schools for kids who are crossing in that area, and adults, of course. Uh, but there's been a lot of complaints about the way it's been handled and that perhaps people in minority communities are unfairly targeted by the fines. What's your stance right now on those school zone cameras? Well, my stance is that the school zone cameras are working. We have seen speeds in the city of Buffalo go down. We've seen compliance in the school zones. Uh, there is absolutely no accuracy to uh, minority communities being disproportionately impacted. Just because a school speed zone camera is located by a school that might be in a minority community 
That doesn't mean that those are the majority of people that are driving past that school zone. Uh, I can tell you that 48% of the citations that have been issued are from for people that don't live in the city of Buffalo at all that have been speeding uh, past our schools in the city of Buffalo. And it's important to note that this program came from requests and demands from people in the city of Buffalo who were deeply concerned about people speeding past the schools that their children attend, people speeding in our residential neighborhoods, people speeding on commercial streets, and we propose this program to slow people down in, in school zones with the ultimate aim of seeing people slow down overall in the city of Buffalo. And it's critically important to note uh, that this program uh, was voted on uh, by the members of, of the city council. Uh, it was passed by the members of the city council. Uh, we were able to establish the school, school speed zones uh, with state-enabling legislation, so it was passed. Uh, by the state legislature, the actual speed limit was set by the members of the city council. They set the 15-mile-per-hour speed limit. So I support the program. I think that the program is, is working. Obviously, with anything new, uh, there can be glitches, there can be problems. Some of the issues that we saw with uh, tickets arriving at people's homes, citations, I should say, later than uh, was required by the legislation, that had to do with uh, the slowness of the postal system uh, uh, during the pandemic period of time. Uh, That had to do with an ice storm in the Midwest uh, where the tickets were being sent from, from. And what the legislation required is that anybody that received the ticket after the period that the ticket should arrive, those tickets were waived. All those tickets were waived, so there was no harm, there was no penalty uh, to uh, people who received tickets late. And in fact, the vast majority of people uh, that received tickets late, probably 98% of them, actually were speeding in speed zones in the city of Buffalo, and they got a benefit from those tickets arriving to them late so that they did not have to pay the citation, which they actually uh, were responsible for because they were exceeding the speed limit. So where does it stand at this moment? If you're driving through one of those zones, uh, what should a motorist know? What a motorist should should know is if you're driving past a school in one of those those zones, you should slow you should slow down. Uh, it's 15 miles an hour. A citation will be written uh, if you are going 26 miles an hour or higher in a school speed zone. The citations will begin to be issued again. March 1st. So prior to um, March 1st, there were initially five 
zones where the cameras were active because schools were back in session at those five locations. Now there are cameras at all 20 of the zones that were established through this legislation. And what my administration did is we provided a 30-day grace period. No citations were written, not only in the 15 additional zones, but the five original zones, so the driving public could get a sense of where these 20 zones are. They could see the flashing lights, they could, the, the beacons, they could see the 15 mile per hour signs and know that if you're driving past one of those areas in the city of Buffalo, we want you to slow down. The other thing that the program is designed to help us do is make a case to reduce insurance rates in the city of Buffalo. We believe if we can demonstrate that the average driving speed in Buffalo has been reduced, the number of accidents that we see annually in the city of Buffalo has been reduced, then we can make a case for reducing insurance rates. On average, the insurance rates in Buffalo are $150 higher than the national average. That has a disproportionate impact on city residents and certainly a disproportionate impact on low-income automobile owners. Mr. Mayor, I want to ask you about the state of vaccines in the city of Buffalo. Uh, where are the sites? I know a new site opened up during the week. Uh, and how is that going so far with appointments and people uh, timely getting their vaccines? There's a new site uh, that opened at the Delavan Grider Community Center. It's located at the corner of East Delavan Avenue and Moselle Street. Uh, it's on the east side of Buffalo. Uh, the plan from uh, the state of New York and uh, FEMA, uh, uh, the federal emergency management agency is to vaccinate 1,000 people per day, uh, seven days a week. That site will be open for eight weeks. Initially, there were certain zip codes that could utilize the site to address communities where there were lower vaccination rates, uh, lower income communities that might be having more difficulty getting vaccinated shortly that site will be available uh, for all city of Buffalo and other residents in the immediate area to get vaccinated. It will be one of four FEMA state of New York vaccination sites in the state of New York. And we're very fortunate to have that mass vaccination site located in the city of Buffalo. Uh, so far, it's going reasonably well. The first few days, like anything new, uh, there were some challenges, difficulty with people getting through to make their appointment, uh, some frustration that people felt making the phone call to get vaccinated. Now things are going a lot more smoothly. And uh, I believe on March 3rd, uh, the site will 
be uh, open uh, for vaccination. Uh, appointments are being taken now, uh, and um, the city has been providing uh, uh, traffic support and other support uh, so people can get in and out smoothly. Uh, and so there isn't a situation of the neighbor neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhood being overwhelmed by people uh, coming into the neighborhood to be vaccinated. Mr. Mayor, I had a caller on Friday call in. He was trying to make an appointment at the uh, new location. Uh, he could get through, but his wife did not get was not able to get one because she does not fit into one of the groups that have been approved yet. But his wife is blind. He does all of the shopping. Uh, he, you know, he does all the leaving the house. So without her vaccinated, he could be vaccinated and be fine. But bring that, bring the virus home. Is there a situation where he could get his wife a an appointment uh, because of her disability? Um, I would I would hope so. Again, this site is not uh, run or managed by the city government. It's a uh, federally, uh, it's a federal government managed site. Obviously, there are going to be some exep- exceptions. There are going to be challenges like like that that families have. I think that wife should be able to be vaccinated based on that, that circumstance. Uh, and certainly, circumstances like that uh, that have come to uh, the city government, whether it has been a city resident or suburban resident. Uh, we have reached out uh, to the state uh, to try to assist that resident. And in this case, with this federal and state facility, in instances like that, uh, if people reach out to the city for help, even though we are not the, the manager, uh, we will have contact with federal and state agencies, and we will try to assist people with those kinds of challenges. Mayor, uh, two quick development questions before our time is up. Uh, first of all, right next to our alma mater uh, at Buff State, we have uh, developer Doug Jamal, who is looking to re-energize that Richardson uh, campus. Uh, it was sorry to hear that the Hotel Henry had to shut down, but in rides uh, Doug Jamal yet again to save the day, perhaps. So my question is, will the city assist him with this project, a very ambitious one? And secondly, when it comes to the Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus, uh, there's a lot of concern about Fruit Belt neighbors uh, that may feel like they're being boxed out because they can no longer afford housing. Uh, What's your plan to help folks in that area? So the city has worked very closely with Doug Jamal. We have worked with him from the very beginning of his first purchase in the city of Buffalo, Seneca One Tower. Uh, Early on, I had the opportunity to visit Mr. Jamal in Washington, D.C., and tour a number of his developments in Washington. He's literally transformed sections of, of, of that city and taken areas of that city where there was no development activity or no development interest prior to him and made them incredibly vibrant, full of businesses, residents, people, people working, uh, people coming for, for recreation. And he is doing similar things here in Buffalo. Uh, He is real. 
he has fallen in love with this community. Uh, so certainly the city will do what we can uh, to assist him uh, with his interest in the uh, former Hotel Henry at the old Buffalo Psychiatric Center. I will say, though, that uh, Doug Jamal is someone that has done a lot of his projects without requesting a lot of federal, state, or local financial assistance. He's taken some things that, are, that he is basically eligible for, but he is investing a lot of his own money. Uh, he believes in Buffalo. He thinks this city is going to come back in a major way after the pandemic, and I'm a major supporter. In the medical campus growth and uh, concerns in, in, in the fruit belt, what, what we're seeing in the fruit belt, but what we're seeing in neighborhoods all across the city, whether it's east side, west side, north side, south side, the neighborhood where I live, Hamlin Park, housing values are appreciating rapidly in the city of Buffalo. And in many areas of the city, there are bidding wars on residential and commercial properties in the city. One of the things that the city has focused on uh, is building affordable housing for rental and for ownership in different parts of, of the city. Uh, we certainly uh, have looked to do that in, in the Fruit Belt. The Fruit Belt is an old neighborhood um, uh, with people who have lived there for uh, one or two or three generations in, in some cases, and we will certainly work with those residents, assist those residents in any way that we can in trying to keep them in their homes. One of the things that I have done as mayor of the city of Buffalo, which a lot of people forget now, is I've either held the line or, or, or cut the tax rate um, uh, for many years uh, during my management of the city. And even now, in 2021, the tax rate residentially and commercially in the city of Buffalo is less than it was when I first came into office in 2006. So we will continue to look at uh, taxes in our community and try from a tax perspective uh, make the city an affordable place uh, residentially and commercially as it relates to property taxes. Mayor Byron Brown, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll be talking again in the very near future. Thank you, Joe and Brenda. Great to be with you this morning. Have a, have a great weekend. We have one half hour left when we come back. It'll be Ken Cruley from Politics and Stuff, and we have a lot of politics to talk about. I'm not sure about the stuff after this on WBEN. And still uh, just under a half hour to go right here on this edition of Hardline on this February 28th. I hope your weekend is going well. Nice to see a little bit of sun uh, cut through the clouds for sure. Uh, Ken Cruley will join us in just a moment. Ken is with Politics and Other Stuff and a familiar voice on this show from uh, a few years back. So great to have Ken on board with uh, Joe and myself. Your calls are most welcome too. 716 803 0930 
And that is also uh, the same number to text on the Volkswagen of Orchard Park, text board 716-803-0930. And uh, without further ado, good morning to Ken Cruley. Good morning. How are you, Brenda? I'm doing well, Ken. I appreciate you joining us. And uh, Joe and I know that uh, you keep your eye on all things politics. Uh, what do you make of the latest allegations? Now, a second woman has come forth uh, alleging sexual harassment against New York Governor Cuomo. Your take on that, Ken? Well, it's certainly uh, not a positive development. Um, but the uh, perhaps um, more disturbing is that there's now more than one uh, who's making an allegation. Excuse me. There's also, uh, you may not be aware of it, but there's a story in the Albany Times Union uh, this morning about uh, a staff member, high-ranking staff member of the governor trying to bully a woman named Judith Enk, who uh, ran the federal EPA. Uh, so uh, it shows that the, uh, the issue is growing and not going away, and it's, it's going to be a problem for the governor. I mean, we talked uh, with Will Barkley a little earlier in the show, Ken, and uh, he joined us and said that uh, I'm sure he'll be with his uh, assembly colleagues later this week. Uh, this morning, the state senator uh, group, state senate group, I should say, uh, met and are probably still meeting to discuss what should happen next. Uh, and New York's uh, Republican chairman, committee chairman, Nick Langworthy, has been very vocal in calling for Cuomo's impeachment, and others are calling for his resignation. Uh, if you were to look in your crystal ball, do you think that would happen, that either of those scenarios would play out? Uh, I think they're very unlikely. Um, the uh, governor uh, is not someone who would go quietly into the night. So, I, I, uh, And the, the Democrats, even though there was a growing number uh, in the Assembly and Senate who have issues with the governor, uh, whether that would rise to the level where they would be able to take any formal action against the governor. I think that's still uh, pretty iffy at the moment. Ken, let me ask you, you know, we, and of, of course, this is far down the list of things that are important, but I think a lot of people are wondering, you've got the nursing home scandal. Now you've got at least two allegations. Uh, governor Cuomo, uh, this is a guy who's very popular. I mean, just a few months back, he was America's governor. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that he had aspirations to one day run for president. Uh, do you think with these two, the nursing home, the nursing home thing and the allegations, uh, that his national, uh, the uh, national opinion of him is dropping? Yeah, I believe that, that that's pretty much passed. I think he's got enough problems uh, trying to deal with uh, the things that are facing the state of New York. I, I don't think national uh, activities would be uh, in his cards at all. And Ken, uh, switching gears locally, uh, we just had Mayor uh, Byron Brown on, and we talked about the strive for five. And uh, it looks like he doesn't have much competition when it comes to uh, another term as the head of uh, uh, Buffalo's government. Uh, India Walton is an activist who uh, has declared her candidacy. But uh, to me, it doesn't have a realistic shot, doesn't have the backing or the name recognition. Uh, do you think that Byron is a shoe-in for another term? I think he's a heavy favorite right now. Uh, I, I, from everything I hear, uh, India Walton is uh, developing a uh, substantial campaign committee. Uh, whether she can raise money uh, remains to be seen. Um, the, uh, the mayor uh, has to face the fact that after 16 years, 
and you wind up uh, making some decisions that aren't so popular anymore. Uh, and so uh, whether they're justified objections or, or, or legit, uh, not justified objections, the mayor's going to have some explaining to do after 16 years. And uh, the, the mayor I heard on, on your show a little earlier talking about uh, downtown development, and that's certainly been wonderful. Uh, but uh, I, uh, as someone who's spent a lot of time working in government finance, uh, look at uh, things like the city budget, and I think the city budget's in serious trouble. Uh, it has a $76 million hole in the current budget. It, they borrowed $21, $25 million in the last fiscal year to balance the books. Uh, they probably are going to get a, a substantial amount of money from the federal government if uh, the Biden uh, rescue plan goes through, but uh, the uh, how the city manages, manages that money is... Uh, Another question. I, I think the city has some serious financial problems. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, any of this uh, rises to a serious uh, threat to the mayor at the moment. Uh, but uh, frankly, I think that uh, uh, anyone running against the mayor starts off with probably 30 percent of the vote right off the bat just because people are tired of the mayor or, or object to something that he's done or not done over the last few years. So uh, it, it could be interesting. And uh, Walton uh, has secured the Working Families endorsement, which will keep her on the ballot right through the whole year, right up until November. Ken, uh, it really seemed to strike a chord when we talked to uh, the mayor about the city school camera system and how uh, the council pushed back on that. Uh, we had a few texts come in about that. Do you think that could be uh, that will continue to be a, a major issue uh, in the campaign if Walton were to seize on that? I, I, whether it's a major issue, I don't know. It, it's definitely going to be an issue. Uh, I think some folks uh, would justifiably suggest that the, uh, those cameras are designed to raise money for the city, not necessarily to enforce speed limits. Uh, the speed limits in the schools, uh, in front of the schools, is 30 miles an hour or less everywhere. And so uh, taking it down to 15, uh, I, I, I'm certainly in favor of anything that uh, saves the, uh, the uh, life and safety of the kids. But I, I think it's more designed to raise money, and uh, it wasn't uh, started in a very good manner. As he admitted, they had to give a million dollars back uh, uh, for fines that were issued improperly. Uh, so it's certainly going to be an issue in the campaign. Ken, I want to go back to uh, to who could run. You know, we, we mentioned a few Democrats uh, that are looking. I'm looking at a list right now. Do you think there's any... The possibility Republicans put a candidate up in this race, or would it, will it mostly just be a primary? No, I don't think the Republicans will put up anybody. They haven't uh, since the mayor's first race against Kevin Halford, who's now working for the mayor. Uh, so I, I don't expect them to do anything. So the, the primary and whatever is left in the general election uh, uh, with uh, Walton on the working families line uh, is going to be what it is. The Republicans have a philosophy in Erie County of not wanting to run candidates in Buffalo um, because it helps their countywide candidates. And so there's no reason to think they'll change the way they're operating this year. Ken, another big uh, race coming up is the uh, Erie County Sheriff's race. And it seems like there was a cast of thousands initially. Uh, who do you think will ultimately uh, be in the race? Well, uh, the Republicans are going to have a primary because uh, uh, John Garcia, who is very well funded and has some substantial uh, political backing, uh, is going to contest the endorsed candidate, Karen Healy Case. Uh, 
I think that that, uh, that could be a very interesting campaign, uh, given uh, Garcia's resources. Uh, and if Garcia were successful in uh, defeating Case in the Republican primary, Case would still be left on the conservative line, which would leave at least two Republicans. There's uh, two people uh, who are talking about running as independents in, in November, and then the Democrats have endorsed Brian Gould. Uh, there could be another candidate in the Working Families Party, uh, depending on what they wind up doing. So, yeah, it's almost a cast of thousands. It's uh, sort of unprecedented for any office that I can recall, particularly for Erie County Sheriff, which usually is a head-to-head Democrat-Republican campaign. Why do you think that is, uh, Ken? Is it because so many of these people have law enforcement backgrounds and they've decided to take the next step? I mean, I found it very interesting that so many people came out and uh, expressed interest in the job. Well, uh, you know, I believe that they all have a genuine interest in uh, wanting to continue their law enforcement careers. Uh, they all, uh, all uh, could be or are uh, retired um, police officers collecting a state pension, and you can collect a salary and a state pension. Uh, I'm not suggesting anybody is operating with that motive, but that potentially could be. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's very, very strange to have such a contested election for sheriff. Some of it has to do with things like the, uh, the SAFE Act. Uh, there's back and forth on that. Uh, some candidates saying they will follow the law and some saying they'll choose what laws to follow. Uh, so uh, that is an issue. Um, Mr. Carter, who uh, is uh, contesting uh, for working families and maybe Democratic in the primary, is talking about, uh, talking about social justice issues. So there's a lot of motives driving the candidates, and uh, the amazing thing is how crowded the field might be. Ken, I'm uh, going to ask you a national question here, and pardon my age. I'm only 32, so maybe maybe I'm wrong when I say this, but... Today at 3.40, uh, former President Trump is speaking at CPAC. Now, I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe I didn't read history as well. But has there ever been someone as popular with their party after losing an election than Donald Trump? Uh, none that I can think of in, in my memory. Uh, I, I think that uh, he's got a good chunk, what, 70, 80 percent of the, uh, the Republicans around the country. So he's certainly has a following. Um, the thing that will be interesting to watch, though, is that you have people like Cruz and Hawley and uh, Cotton and uh, some others who uh, are now in his camp but are itching to run for president on their own. And so how long they uh, they stay loyal to Trump and when do they decide, I, I really don't want to wait around till 2028, uh, that, that I think is going to be the interesting dy- dynamic. Uh, I think as the president gets involved in some of these uh, potential criminal civil cases that are, might be f- filed against them, that, that may affect things, too. So four years is, is uh, quite a time to, to pass for this. And you've got some ambitious Republicans who, who might decide at some point that, uh, OK, uh, thank you, Donald Trump, but I've got my own ambitions. Yeah, that was my next question. As, as a guy who's not in political office right now and a party that is 0-3 in Washington, they don't have control of any house, How do you, th- do you see that popularity being able to sustain until the 2024 primaries? Pretty hard to do that. Uh, I, you know, a lot of it depends on how things work out, uh, uh, how, uh, how well the COVID is managed, uh, 
how well the uh, the Biden uh, relief plan uh, is if it's passed uh, gets implemented. Uh, if if those things work out well, then I I think uh, it'll be hard to get traction uh, for somebody like Trump or or some of the others. Uh, if there's problems with those issues and implementing them, uh, that opens the door. But I don't think anybody really can project that at this point. Ken, who do you think has the bigger future in the Republican Party? Uh, in spite of everything that happened uh, at the end of uh, Donald Trump's term, is it him or is it somebody like Ted Cruz who seems tone deaf to uh, what was happening in Texas with his uh, little jaunt at Cancun? Yeah, well, that certainly didn't help him. I, uh, and I'm sure the uh, Marco Rubios and the Hollies and Cottons of the world are, are very happy about that. Um, but uh, I, uh, in 2016, traveled around South Carolina and watched the Republican primary for president then, and I got to observe some of these folks, in, including Cruz. He's a very, very ambitious and clever politician, and I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't undercut him. Uh, as you recall, uh, he fought to pretty much the bitter end with Trump, even though he was behind in delegates and everything uh, in, in 2016. So uh, I, I think that... Uh, He's, he's definitely a, a contestant, and, and he's not going to go quietly into the night, uh, despite what, what's going on in Cancun. Ken, do you mind if we take a call here? Sure. All right, let's go to Rochester and talk to our friend John. Hey, John. Hey, guys, uh, and, and Brenda. Uh, Ken, uh, I've watched uh, all the hearings in the battleground states, uh, except for Minnesota and Nevada, which... Uh, you really couldn't find any uh, hearings on that. But I watched it. It's about 25 or 30 hours total. And I'll tell you, the amount of fraud that was brought out, they had a 1,000 uh, affidavits of witnesses and computer forensic experts all across the board. And I haven't heard hardly anything in the mainstream media about it uh, other than it didn't exist. It was a lie. And, and the other thing that bothers me is even the Republicans are downplaying it. Do you think it's going to be brought out uh, at some point uh, in the next year or so? Because I think it's, it, it was rampant. And, and the second question for you is, did you watch the hearings at all? Uh, well, I'll answer your first question or your second question first. No, I didn't watch any of them. And I don't think that there was any fraud to speak of. There was never any evidence. It was Rudy Giuliani running around um, sort of like a crazy man talking to people. But there, there was no evidence, uh, a, a case here or there. There were some issues with Republican uh, fraud, if you will, uh, that came up here and there. But there's, there's no serious evidence, and certainly not to the extent that would have made any difference in the election. Ken, how can you say that if you didn't watch the hearings? There's 25 to 30 hours of it. It's pretty compelling. You have to watch it before you can make a comment like that. No, I don't think I have to watch that. I think that I'm very comfortable in saying that the election was, uh, and this, this is not just me speaking. This is Republicans like the Secretary of State in Georgia and throughout the country who have confirmed that the election was fair and honest and everything was done the right way. Uh, there's been no evidence produced, uh, not even on, on Fox News, that uh, would uh, indicate where there was substantial, substantial uh, fraud involved. There's, there's nothing there. It's a, uh, a talking point that Trump will try and play up, but uh, uh, he, he makes no convincing evidence of it. And 60 lawsuits that were filed that all failed show that uh, the courts, even the courts uh, where the judges were appointed by, uh, by Trump, 
decided that there was nothing nothing wrong with the election. So there's there's no evidence of a problem. If people want to believe that, I guess that is what they're going to believe. But that's not the truth. And Ken, that brings up my next question. You know, looking at 2022, usually the party that's not in power gains seats. But if you still have people talking about a stolen election, uh, I can't I can't imagine that's going to be popular with people in the middle, those independent voters that you're going to need to pick up one of the houses in 2022. Yeah, well, the, you're right that, you know, the uh, the midterms uh, also usually are uh, not helpful to the uh, party that has the, uh, the White House, and so Democrats are swimming upstream. There's some opportunities in the Senate to pick up some seats. Uh, the gerrymandering that'll go on will allow the uh, Republicans to uh, to pick up some seats in Texas, Florida, maybe North Carolina. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a, a tough election year for Democrats. And and I I go back to uh, how well the the COVID issue is managed, how well the the relief programs are, are implemented and how much they help the economy to get up and running again. If, if those things work, I think that'll help the Democrats and it will help in, November, uh, in 2022. If there's problems, then that'll just add to the difficulty of, of Democrats holding on in, in 2022. We have to see how everything plays out. And the beat goes on, Ken. I'm sure we'll be talking about this uh, in the weeks to come. And uh, we appreciate your time today. Ken Cruley politicsandstuff.com. It's chock full of information and interesting uh, observations and articles and updates on races, both locally and nationally. Ken, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. That'll put a wrap on this edition of Hardline. Thanks to all of you who called, texted, and listened. We'll be back right here on News Radio 930 WBEN next Sunday at 10. Welcome back to Hardline. We got about one minute left and just wanted to play some new audio coming in. This is Senator Tim Kennedy just moments ago talking about the allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo. Well, it's beyond disturbing and upsetting, and there's absolutely no place for it anywhere in society, in government, in the workplace, anywhere. And it needs to be dealt with immediately. We're calling for an immediate investigation and accountability uh, as soon as possible, uh, depending on what facts come out. The governor has, you know, apparently called for an investigation, obviously, but is that good enough or do you want something different? No, no, no. What the governor has called for is not good enough. Uh, We need an independent investigation, whether that's the attorney general or uh, members of JCOP who are not appointed by the governor. Uh, where he has no say in the final outcome of this investigation in any capacity. It has to be 100% independent. It has to be uh, an investigation that the public can trust. And I trust that the Attorney General General will do that or appoint someone who will do that. So uh, we are going to be discussing uh, our path forward and figuring out how that investigation can best happen independently. Just months ago, I mean, New York is being looked at from a nationwide perspective as, as a leader, an innovator in dealing with COVID and, and largely, you know, with the leadership of, of Governor Cuomo. Um, you know, today you turn on the Sunday shows and it's all about these allegations. Um, just kind of, where's your head at? Right. It seems like all this allegedly went on, you know, in the height of COVID. Yeah, this is, this is a terrible fall from grace if these allegations uh, prove in fact to be true and that's why we need an independent investigation to make sure that 
uh, there's accountability, an immediate accountability. So uh, we are looking for this independent investigation to happen uh, in, with great expedience. And that was Senator Tim Kennedy on the allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo and the moves next into an investigation. We will have updates throughout the afternoon here on News Radio 930 WBEN and tomorrow morning, starting at 5 a.m., with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski on a new morning. It is News Radio 930 WBEN Buffalo. Meet the Press is next.